It's time for the apple seed, filled with stories for you and your family, all kinds of tales from all kinds of tellers. I'm Sam Payne, your host, and it's such a pleasure for me to be with you to bring you an hour filled with stories with which we hope to celebrate the ringing in of a new year. Stories from Karen Golden, from Michael Katz, from the wonderful musical storyteller Heather Forrest, and Motoko, the terrific storyteller and mime. It's going to be a great hour. And to introduce us to the first story that we're going to hear today, I'm pleased to be joined in the studio by one of our assistant producers, Alyssa Mingorance. Alyssa, it's great to have you with me. Hello, Sam. I love being here. I am excited to hear this Karen Golden story. Tell yeah. me about this tale. Yeah, so this is just the most tender little story you're going to hear all today. It's wonderful. <laughs> it's accompanied by music. It's beautiful. Uh, and it's where the littlest angel is tasked with finding the most precious thing in the world. A big task for such a little angel. So think about that for a minute. So yeah. if you were asked what the most precious thing in the world was, I mean, maybe I'm maybe I'm not asking you, Alyssa. Maybe sure. I'm asking you who are listening, right? And mm-hmm. I'm thinking about it myself. If you were asked what the most precious thing in the world was, what kind of journey that would take you on. Yeah, you know? imagine I mean, the, the sights you would see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You'd go in so many different directions, you know, they're, they're uh, according to what criteria, you might ask exactly, yourself. Exactly, right? exactly. But yeah, so this littlest angel is is tasked with, with, with naming the most wonderful thing in the world, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Karen Golden is a wonderful storyteller. You've heard her before on the show. Uh, she's based in California and has done all kinds of storytelling, some of it from inside the Jewish tradition. In fact, this uh, story that you're going to hear is from a whole collection of stories that's kind of a trip through the, the holidays in the Jewish calendar. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Karen Golden, and we're going to find out. We're going to, right here on the apple seed, you're going to find out what the most (laughs) wonderful thing in the world is. Big news. That's right. Here's the story Karen Golden on the apple seed. Once, a voice came out of the heavens and spoke to the littlest angel. Little angel. I would like for you to bring me a gift for Rosh Hashanah, the new year, the most precious thing in the world. The littlest angel opened her wings and flew to earth. She flew higher than the highest mountains and lower than the lowest valleys. She flew to the east and the west, through green forests and meadows of flowers, and even over the ocean. Searching for the most precious thing in the world. Then she came to this place. And in this place, she saw sitting on a bench a mother with her child in her arms. And that mother had a smile on her face as she gazed at her child. You know the way mothers look at their children with such love? That's it, said the littlest angel. The most precious thing in the world is a mother's smile. And she took that smile, but another one popped back on that mother's face because mothers have so many smiles for their children. She flew up to the heavens singing. The most precious thing in the world is a mother's smile. 
A mother's smile, a mother's smile, the most precious thing in the world is a mother's smile, the most precious thing in the world. The heavens parted. And a voice said, A mother's smile is indeed very special and a most wonderful thing, but it is not the most precious thing in the world. Please, little angel, go back and search again. Okay, said the littlest angel, and she opened her wings and flew back to earth. She flew higher than the highest mountains and lower than the lowest valleys. She flew to the east and the west through green forests and meadows of flowers and even over the ocean, searching for the most precious thing in the world. She was just flying over the forest when it grew dark, and while she rested on the branches of a tall tree, she heard the most beautiful sound. It was coming from deep within the forest. It was the song of a single nightingale. She folded her wings and listened for hours. That's it! The most precious thing in the world! She carried the song with her to the heavens singing. The most precious thing in the world is a nightingale song. A nightingale song, a nightingale song, the most precious thing in the world is a nightingale song, the most precious thing in the world. The heavens parted. And a voice said, A nightingale's song is lovely to listen to, and indeed very precious, but it is not the gift that I seek. Please go back and bring me the most precious thing in the world. The littlest angel opened her wings and flew to earth. She flew higher than the highest mountains and lower than the lowest valleys. She flew to the east and the west, through green forests and meadows of flowers, and even over the ocean. She flew over a big city. There were cars zooming in both directions. There, in the middle of the busiest intersection, stood an elderly man who was trying to cross the street. He looked from side to side. A young lady walked up to him, offered her hand, and helped him across the street. That's it, said the littlest angel. The most precious thing in the world is a good deed, a mitzvah. The littlest angel remembered everything about the man and the woman and the intersection. She flew up singing. The most precious thing in the world 
is doing a good deed, doing a good deed, doing a good deed. The most precious thing in the world is doing a good deed. The most precious thing in the Heavens parted, and a voice said, A good deed is very precious, and I wish more people did good deeds for others. But this gift that I seek is even more difficult to come by. It is hidden deep within. Please, little angel, do not give up. Search again. Once again, the littlest angel opened her wings and flew down in search of the most precious thing in the world. Where could it be? She wondered. She flew higher than the highest mountains and lower than the lowest valleys. She flew to the east and the west, through green forests and meadows of flowers, over oceans and cities she came to a place where she heard a most unusual sound. <laughs> it was the sound of a man crying. Tears were streaming down his cheeks. She flew closer and heard him speak. I am so sorry. I did something very unkind to my brother, and we got into a big argument, and he was unkind to me too. We have not spoken in months. I forgive him. I just wish he could forgive me so we can celebrate the new year together. The littlest angel landed on the man's shoulder, and although he could not see her, he felt a breeze and said, I feel forgiven. That's it, thought the littlest angel. The most precious thing in the world is forgiveness. She flew up to the heavens carrying a single tear from the man, singing. The most precious thing in the world is forgiveness, forgiveness. Forgiving your brother, your sister, your mother, your father, your teacher, and even your friend. The most precious thing in the world is forgiveness. The most precious thing in the heavens parted, and a voice said, That's it! That's it! The most precious thing in the world is forgiveness, a tear from one who is truly sorry. Thank you, littlest angel. What a gift! I know you have searched for a long time, but I have one more request. Please, go back to the people 
and share your song with them so they will know what the most precious thing in the world truly is. And you know, she did just that. The most precious thing in the world is forgiveness. 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 The most precious thing in the world is forgiveness. The most precious thing in The Most Precious Thing in the World, a story told for you with all of that great music, too, from yes. Karen Golden. Fun to listen to that story, not only with you, but with Alyssa Mingorance, who brought it to us today. Uh, what a nice story. Good heavens. I'm, mm. I got a big smile on my face. Yeah, I mean, how can you not listen to that with the gorgeous piano? Not just feel like a little warmer inside, you know? <laughs> and it, you know, it makes me wonder. Before we heard the story, I took just a second to in, in invite you, who are listening, to to think about how you might answer that question: what the most precious thing in the world is. And I don't know what journey you went on. Did it did it take you to? Forgiveness as the most precious thing in the world. I'm thinking about all of the troubles from which we seem to suffer in the world these days. You know, mm-hmm. this this is a this is a time where we could use a little forgiveness, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, because I I was thinking as I was listening to this story that maybe to me the most precious thing in the world would be time. You know, <laughs> and that's what this new year brings us a whole yeah. other year of time to forgive, to learn, to love, right? Because you can do anything with time, yeah. right? And um, <laughs> it just gets you excited for the new year. Yeah. And I think it might be a question you could ask of the deepest parts of yourself, you know, as mm-hmm. you enter into this new year, what's going to be the most important thing that you can employ, the most the most important trait, the most important characteristic that you can employ to meet a, a, a new year filled with challenges, you know? Yeah. The story the story gives us this, this, the story takes us to a, a certain place and maybe you come up with something else. Maybe you agree with the story and maybe you come up with something else. But I bet the deepest part of yourself will have something to say about that. And that, of course, is kind of a a, a serious invitation, right? Uh, the new year is an opportunity to sort of look introspectively at, uh, at at some of the things you do and some of the things that you want to do in the new year. But the new year is also just kind of a time for fun too, right? There are just some fun traditions uh, that go along with the new year. And, and you've got one, don't you? Absolutely. Right. <laughs> always. Yeah. I have this New Year's tradition. Well, my family has this New Year's tradition that I am just like dying to share with you. And here's the perfect opportunity, you know. Um, uh, every Christmas, my family will always like make gingerbread houses, right, as many families do. Sure. And, you know, you decorate it with all the candy. But then over the next few days, you kind of will slowly pick off the candy and oh, eat yes. it, of course, yeah. until your gingerbread house looks a little sad and barren. <laughs> um, and so on New Year's Eve, what my family and I would always do is we would then blow up these old, useless gingerbread houses in our backyard. Some dry ice in a bottle. Oh, and, no. Yeah. <laughs> and you you shake it up and then stick a gingerbread house on top and back really far away. Oh, and heavens. it is 
wonderful way to welcome in the new year. <laughs> so if you're looking for a New Year's Eve tradition, that's almost a New Year's Eve tradition that uh, that, that deserves a, a don't try this at home preface, yes. right? Yeah. Yes. So- <laughs> Have professionals, you know. <laughs> Well, whether you're the kind of person who makes New Year's resolutions or whether you're the kind of person who is just looking forward to a new year that's different in all kinds of wonderful ways from the years in the past, uh, there, the, it, it is, again, worth asking yourself, what, what will be some of those sort of precious things that you can cultivate in a new year filled with opportunity? Alyssa Mingorance, thanks for bringing us that story from Karen Golden. Yeah, thank you for having me. And there's a lot more coming up on The Appleseed. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's such a pleasure for me to be with you on today's episode of The Appleseed, a special episode in which we're thinking about some of the things we hope to keep in mind as we enter in on a new year. And this story by Michael Katz is a story about the woes of greed, the joys of giving, especially during the holidays. The story is called Ishiusu. It's a Japanese folktale, again, told for you by Michael Katz, and we're happy to bring it to you here on The Appleseed. Long ago, in Japan, there lived two brothers. The oldest brother was named Taro, which means first brother. He had lots of money, but he never shared it with anyone. People would say about Taro, Oh, Yokobari, which means, Oh, Greedy. On the other side of the mountain lived the youngest brother. His name was Hiroshi, which can mean generous. Even though he did not have a lot of money, Hiroshi would share whatever he had with everyone. Now, it was almost the new year, and in Japan, many people celebrate with delicious rice cakes called mochi. The tradition is to put these mochi around the house as an offering to ask for good luck in the new year. Well, the poor brother Hiroshi had no mochi and no money to buy mochi with. He said to himself, I know, I'll go visit my rich brother Taro. Maybe he'll give me some mochi or lend me some money so I can buy some mochi. So Hiroshi climbed up the mountain between their two homes, climbed down the other side. And when he arrived at Taro's house, he knocked on his door. Taro opened the door. Just a bit, because he didn't trust anybody. What do you want? Hello, brother. I was wondering if I could have some mochi for the new year, or maybe I could borrow some money to buy some mochi? Uh. <laughs> Once again, you have no money. This will teach you not to give away things to other people. And Taro slammed the door in Hiroshi's face. Oh, well, 
I guess I won't have any mochi for the new year. So Hiroshi turned around and set off for his home. When he got to the top of the mountain between the two homes, he saw an old man, an Oji-san, sitting underneath a tree. Konnichiwa, Oji-san. Have a good year, old man. The old man looked at Hiroshi and said, And a wonderful year for you. Hiroshi kept walking when suddenly the old man called out to him, Mate, mate, mate. Come here. Come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. I have something for you. Here. And from out of the old man's bag, he pulled out a rice cake, a mochi, and gave it to Hiroshi. Oh, thank you, old man. This is exactly what I wanted. A good year to you, old man. A good year to you. Once again, Hiroshi began to walk home. And once again, the old man called out to him, Mate, mate. Come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. Don't go home just yet. Look over there. Do you see that little hole in the ground? You'll see these little people climbing out of the hole. They're called Kobito. Kobito love mochi. Give them your mochi, but only if they give you their millstone, their ishiusu. Now, a millstone, an ishiusu, is made up of two large round stones that turn on each other and grind up grain like rice into flour for baking things like mochi. Hiroshi walked over to the hole in the ground. And sure enough, there were little people climbing out of the hole about the size of your thumb. They all smelled the mochi. Hello there, Kobito. Uh, I'll give you the mochi if you give me your millstone, your ishiusu. No, 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 All right, then. Bye. No, no, come back, come back, come back, come back, come back, come back, come back. Hiroshi went back to the hole, gave the Kobito the mochi, and they gave him their millstone, their ishiusu. Well, since Kobito are so small, the millstone fit in the palm of Hiroshi's hand. Hiroshi walked back to the old man and said, I got the millstone. It's very cute. Thank you very much, Oji-san. Now, before Hiroshi could walk away, once again, the old man cried out, Mate, mate! Come here! Come here, come here, come here. That millstone is a magic millstone. Anything you want, ask for it and turn the millstone to the right and it will come out of the millstone. When you have enough of that thing, turn the millstone to the left, and it will stop. Have a wonderful year! And you too, Oji-san. And Hiroshi climbed down the mountain to his home. When he got back to his home, Hiroshi thought to himself, let's see if this magic millstone works. Ishiusu, I'd like some mochi, please. And he turned the millstone to the... Right. Mochi started flying out of the millstone. When he had enough, he turned the millstone to the left. And it stopped. It was magic. Well, Hiroshi, he always thought about other people first and sharing his wealth. I know. I'll have a party at my house to celebrate the new year. I'll invite everyone. Let's see. 
What do I need for the party? Everyone loves rice. Gohan. Millstone, Ishiusu, some rice, please. And he turned the millstone to the right. Rice started flying out of the millstone. And when he had enough rice, he turned the millstone to the left. Oh, in Japan, we love to eat fish. Sakana, some fish, please. And he turned the millstone to the right. Fish started flopping out of the millstone. Sushi grade. And when he had enough, he turned the millstone to the left. Well, in Japan, they make many things out of rice, including a rice drink called sake. I'd like some sake, please. And he turned the millstone to the right. Sake started flowing out of the millstone. He put bottles on the ground, and the sake flowed right into them. And when the bottles were full, Hiroshi turned the millstone to the left. Oh, he invited everyone to his party, including his rich brother, Taro. While he was at the party, Taro thought to himself, How did my brother get all these nice things, all this nice food? And just today he was over at my house begging me. I'm going to find out. That whole night at the party, Taro followed Hiroshi everywhere he went, hoping to find out how his poor brother got all of this food. He couldn't figure it out. Just then, someone at the party yelled out, Hiroshi! More mochi, please. Yes, more mochi. All right, everyone. I'll be right back with some more mochi. And Hiroshi walked into his room where he had the millstone. His rich brother, Taro, snuck right behind him and peeked into Hiroshi's room. He saw Hiroshi standing over his millstone, whispering, Ishiusu, I'd like some more mochi, please. And Taro saw Hiroshi turn the millstone to the right. Mochi started flying out of the millstone. When Taro saw this, he said to himself, Aha! That's where Hiroshi's getting everything from. A magic Ishiusu. I know. I'm going to come back here tonight and steal that millstone. And then I'll be the richest man on earth. Now that Taro had his evil plan, he turned and left the party, grabbing some fish on his way out the door. When Hiroshi had enough mochi, he said to the millstone, That's enough! And he turned the millstone to the left. Hiroshi went back into the living room where the party was, and he noticed that his brother Tato was gone. Oh well. Hiroshi served the mochi to everybody. Oh, it was such a great party. And it went late into the night. And after everyone had left... Hiroshi was so tired, he fell fast asleep in his bed, his futon. Later that night, Taro came back to his brother's house to steal the millstone. Quietly, he opened the door and crept into his brother's room. There was Hiroshi, fast asleep. sleeping brother. Ah, there was the millstone. Taro grabbed the millstone. Ah, <laughs> now I'll be the richest man on earth. He 
snuck by his sleeping brother and went out the door. Taro ran down to the ocean where he had a boat. You see, Japan is made up of many islands, and Taro didn't want to be caught stealing the millstone. So he decided he'd paddle a boat to another island of Japan, and there he'd be the richest man on earth. And no one would ever catch him. Taro jumped into the boat and began to paddle out to sea. He paddled for a long time. And when he was far enough from land, he stopped paddling and yelled out, <laughs> Now I'm the richest man on earth. I think I'll stop and have something to eat. Hmm. How about some fish from my brother's party? Oh, but I forgot to bring some salt with me. Uh. Uh. No problem. I have the magic millstone. Ishiusu, I like some shio, some salt. Give me some salt. And Taro turned the millstone to the right. Salt started flowing out of the millstone. When Taro had enough, he said, Okay, you can stop now. You can stop. That's enough. No more salt. No more shield. Stop. No more salt. I, I, I don't need it. Stop. Stop. Tomare. 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 Please stop. Soon there was a mound of salt in the boat, then a hill of salt, then a mountain of salt. So much salt that the boat became so heavy, it broke into two pieces. And the salt and the millstone and the rich brother sank to the bottom of the sea. Taro hadn't stayed long enough in his brother's room to find out about turning the millstone to the left to stop it. Now in Japan, they say that the boat, the rich brother, and the millstone have never been found. But they say that millstone is still making salt today. That's why the ocean is so salty. Ishiusu, a story told for you by Michael Katz in a special episode of The Appleseed in which we are considering some of the things we hope to keep in mind as we enter upon a new year. That story about the woes of greed and the joys of generosity and giving. There's a lot more coming up on The Appleseed. You're going to hear the wonderful musical storyteller Heather Forrest with a version of the old tale Stone Soup, and you won't want to miss a word. I'm Sam Payne. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. 
It's such a pleasure to have you with us on today's episode of The Appleseed, a special episode in which we're thinking about some of the things that we want to take with us into the new year, some of the values, some of the thoughts, some of the characteristics that we'd like to develop or avoid. In the last story, you heard from Michael Katz, a story that contrasted greed and generosity, a story called Ishiusu. And up next, a story from the musical storyteller Heather Forrest. This is an old tale called Stone Soup, and in this story, Travelers enter a village asking for help, but in the end, there is uh, learning and blessings for everyone in the story. Here's Stone Soup from Heather Forest on the Appleseed. Two travelers came to a town where no one ever shared. The travelers were poor and hungry. They hoped that someone would give them some food. But they knocked on every door. And everyone said the same thing. I don't care. I won't share. Please, do you have any food? And everyone said no. Well, if there's really no food in this town, said the travelers to each other, then the people who live here must be in greater need than we are. Let us make them our magic soup. So they went to the center of the town and sang. If anybody in this town has a big black pot, We will make the most incredible soup you ever tasted. Out of curiosity, one of the townspeople brought them a huge black pot. The travelers filled it with cold water, and then they built a fire under it. Gather round, gather round, everyone. We are going to make a magic soup. And of course, we need a magic ingredient. All the eyes in the crowd watched with wonder as one of the travelers reached down into the dust and picked up an ordinary stone. He tossed it into the pot with a splash. This is no ordinary soup. It has a name. It's called... Stone soup, we're making stone soup, we're making stone soup today. Stone soup, stone soup, stone soup today. And it will be nutritious, delicious, incredible, edible, but it would taste better if we only had a carrot. Where would we find one? After all, we did knock on every door. And everyone said the same thing. I don't care. I won't share. Do you have any food? We asked. And everyone said no. Well, I suppose I might have a small carrot, said one man. Then what are you waiting for? 
Bring what you've got and put it in the pot, oh. Bring what you've got and put it in the pot. We're making stone soup. We're making stone soup. We're making stone soup today. Stone soup. Stone soup. Stone soup today. And it will be nutritious, delicious, incredible, edible. But it would taste better if we only had a few more ingredients. Well, if he's going to bring a small carrot, I could bring a lima bean," said one woman. "Well, if you're going to bring a lima bean," said a man, "I could bring a kernel of corn." Well, if you're going to bring a kernel of corn, I will bring a slice of celery," said another. Still, before long, everyone in the town offered to bring one small thing to put in the pot. But with everyone giving just a little, it soon became a lot. Food came from every direction, and before long. The pot was filled to the brim with savory, sweet-smelling soup. Everyone ran home and got bowls and spoons. And when the very first person tasted the soup, she said, "Hmm, these travelers made such a good soup out of a stone." Out of a stone," said the travelers. And a magic ingredient, sharing. And if anyone, they said to the crowd, ever wants to remember the recipe to this soup, they need only remember the words to this song. Every little bit makes the big bowl better. Every little bit makes the big bowl good. So bring what you got. Put it in the pot, oh! Bring what you got and put it in the pot. We're making stone soup. We're making stone soup. We're making stone soup today. Stone soup. Stone soup. Stone soup today. Wonderful musical storyteller Heather Forrest bringing to life an old tale, Stone Soup. And up next, we've got a story about the Chinese zodiac. Now, in the Chinese zodiac, each year has an animal assigned to it. 2021 was the year of the ox, and that means that people born this year are patient and kind and stubborn. 2022 is the year of the tiger. Tigers are emotional and courageous and intense. And this is a story. About how the Chinese zodiac came to be. It's told for you by the wonderful storyteller and mime Motoko, and it's called "The Tale of the Twelve Animals." Happy to bring it to you here on the Appleseed. My grandma used to lie about her age. When I was about four, I remember asking her how old she was. She said, "I'm fifty-seven." The following year, I asked her again, and she said, "I'm 57." The next year, I asked her again, and again she answered, 
I'm 57. Then she added, with faint annoyance and amusement, Didn't I tell you that before? Because I was so young, I did not think to doubt her. I thought my grandma was telling the truth. I thought all grown-ups after a certain age just stopped growing older. My grandma was about my height, 5'3", but she was quite chubby. She had a round, fleshy face, and when she smiled, her eyes all but disappeared. She had lots of gray hair that she kept in place with a hairnet, and she was forever 57. When I was in first grade, this new family moved into my neighborhood. They had a little girl a year older than me. She was in second grade. Her name was Sachiko. We called her Satchan. Satchan, in my young mind, was the smartest, the brightest, the wisest girl in the whole world. I mean, she knew everything. She knew about things I hadn't even imagined. Like, she was the one who explained to me why cats' eyes grow larger in the dark and smaller in the light. She also told me kings and queens in Europe sprinkle flakes of pure gold on their ice cream, and it's safe for humans to eat a tiny amount of pure gold. Since I had never seen real gold in my life, I was duly impressed. I made up my mind to be her best friend and invited her to come to my house whenever she could. One day, Satchan came over to my house. It was raining outside, so we stayed inside, drawing pictures of animals on a large piece of paper. Satchan looked at me suddenly and said, Motoko, what animal year were you born in? I had no idea what she was talking about. But I didn't want to admit that, so I took my best guess and said, Elephant? Because, you see, I had just been to a zoo, and the elephant had become my favorite animal. Sachan giggled and said, No, you silly thing. There is no such thing as the year of the elephant. Why not? She said, what? Which means mouse, cow, tiger, rabbit, dragon, snake, horse, sheep, monkey, rooster, dog, and wild pig. Sacha made me repeat those words and said, You see, these are the names of the animals we use to name our years. So there's no such thing as the year of the elephant. I said, well, what are you? She proudly said, well, I am a tiger. And since you are a year younger than me, that makes you a rabbit. <gasps> I was happy to be a rabbit. That probably meant I was cute and cuddly. But I was scared that Satchan was a tiger. Did that mean she could eat me up? I wasn't so sure. Just then, the paper sliding door between the rooms opened, and my grandma shuffled in. 
She was carrying a tray. On the tray, I spotted a couple of plates of sweet red bean cakes, my favorite, and two glasses of iced barley tea. She brought them over to the table and gave them to us. We thanked her, and she shuffled away. As my grandma left the room, I thought of something that I knew that Sachan didn't know, and I wanted to tell her. I know how old my grandma is. How old? She's 57. Sachan looked surprised. Are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. She's always 57. Then Sachan looked thoughtful. She said, I'll tell you what. Tonight, before you go to bed, ask your grandma what animal year she was born in. If you have that information, I will help you figure out how old your grandma really is, because I don't think she's 57. Now, I had never thought of it that way before. This was an entirely new possibility, so I was very excited. I waited patiently until my bedtime, and when my grandma came to tuck me in, I innocently asked, Grandma, what animal year were you born in? Ah, that is a very good question. I was born in the year of the cat. Oh, cat. Okay, thank you, Grandma. Good night. I went to sleep. The next morning, I went and told Satchan, and she laughed at me again because there's no such thing as the year of the cat. So you see, my grandma tricked me. We were so confused. So Satchan and I held hands and we went and confronted my grandma, trying to find out how old she really was. But she wouldn't tell us. She said, I can tell you how old I really am, or I can tell you a story that explains why there's no such thing as the year of the cat. My age or the story, which one would you like? And what did we say? Of course we picked the story. You see, the age is just a number, but the story is definitely more interesting. And this is the story. My grandma told us. In old Japan, a god and a goddess watched over the land. They cared for all the creatures from their mountaintop, so grand. But a day came when they realized that their time had come to return to their homeland, far beyond the rising sun. Said the goddess to the god, we must make sure first that all creatures will be cared for down here on earth. Said the god to the goddess, They must care for each other. In time, they will learn that all are a sister and a brother. Then we must choose leaders, the goddess replied, in a way that allows each a time to feel pride. They called upon all the animals they held so dear and said twelve would be chosen, each to lead for a year. Within minutes, the animals were in an uproar. They cried, Why must you go? What must you leave us for? And if you're choosing only twelve, 
how should we volunteer? I'll take the first year, the tiger said. I'm the strongest here. Not so fast, said the dragon. I can eat you in one bite. The horse complained. To lead, you must have wisdom, not just might. The goddess stopped the quarrel with a raise of just one hand. The secret of our choices you will someday understand. Come to our house at sunrise. A simple race would do. This way, we'll give an equal chance to every one of you. The first 12 to reach the mountain top at the dawn of the New Year's Day will put their names upon the year in which they'll have their say. The animals began to cheer. They all joined, big and small. Except for the lazy cat, who wasn't listening at all. The cat cried, Someone tell me when they said we must appear. The mouse said, We should come the second day of the new year. The cow walked past the sleepy cat to get an early start. I'm slow, she said, but they will know I tried with all my heart. The clever mouse was so determined not to be denied, she sneaked up onto the cow's back to take a cozy ride. As dawn approached, the race was on. They all began to fly. Big and small, one and all, they charged toward the sky. The tiger took the lead by pushing others out of the way. The lucky rabbit found a path, so she had no delay. Dragon made a straight line, felling trees like an earthquake. The snake was wise enough to glide along the dragon's wake. Six others tumble in a pile of hooves, fur, and tails. A cloud of dust surrounded them, blurring all details. The steadfast cow reached the top, just as the sun arose. There sat the god and the goddess waiting in a calm repose. She approached the gods with pride, a beaming smile upon her face, when the mouse jumped down and with a bound cried, I have won the race! The cow had no hard feelings. The second place was good enough. The tiger, though, was angry and took the third place with a huff. Soon, the rabbit finished and approached the regal pair. Behind her came the dragon, shocked to see so many there. Snake followed the dragon. Then there came the noble horse. The sheep forgot her elegance, having made the grueling course. The monkey and the dog were fighting, as they always will. The rooster stood between them, trying to keep them still. At the end of this long train came the determined old wild pig, there were others, but they gave up. The mountain was so big. 
And now the God and the Goddess spoke to all the gathered crowd. Each of you has qualities of which you should be proud. Be wise enough to follow. Be strong enough to lead. Give all that you're able and take only what you need. With that, the God and the Goddess faded as they waved goodbye. The twelve proud animals watched their spirits drift into the sky. In the middle of the following day, when no one was around, the foolish, lazy cat arrived. His heart sank to the ground. He cried, How could I let the mouse make such a fool of me? If I ever get my paws on her, we'll see what we will see. So to this day, cat chases mice to satisfy his rage. Year of the cat is just for those who want to hide their age. So look to your year for clues about your personality. But don't be like cat. Pay attention. That is the real key. So you see, in Japan, instead of asking someone how old she is, you can politely ask what animal year she was born in and figure out her age that way. This year, 2006, is the year of the dog. That means if someone says that he's a dog, it means either he's a newborn baby, or 12 years old, or 24, or 36, 48, or 60. Each of us in our personality takes after our animal. Like I said, I am a rabbit. That makes me cute and cuddly. I'm very cautious too. If you are a mouse, you are quick and clever. If you are a tiger, you are strong and fierce. As for my grandma, I never found out how old she really was until two years ago. My grandma's still alive and well and lives in the nursing home in Osaka. Two years ago, I went to visit her and I sneaked into their office to look at her file to find out what her real birth date was. And guess what? It turned out my grandma was 57 the year I was born. You see, I am her first grandchild. So when I came along, she said that was it. She was not going to grow any older. So that makes her 99 years old this year. And she'll be 100 years old next year. My whole family is planning a big celebration. And guess how many candles we are going to light on her birthday cake? No, not 100. 57. The 
tale of the 12 animals told for you by the wonderful storyteller and mime Motoko. What a pleasure to have you with us today for stories that are bringing to mind some of the things that we might like to think about and consider as we enter upon an exciting new year. We hope this time is a blessed one for you. And thanks for joining us for stories from Motoko, from Heather Forrest, from Michael Katz, and from Karen Golden. We hope that the stories that we bring you here on the show spark memories and thoughts that you can share as stories with the people that you love. That kind of storytelling can make for memories that last a lifetime. You can find us online at byuradio.org slash Appleseed or by Googling the Appleseed podcast. Lots of storytelling from great storytellers for you to hear just about any time you like. You can take us with you on your mobile device. I'm Sam Payne, and I can't wait to be with you again on The Appleseed. Thanks for joining us for an hour of stories, music, and conversation made for you and your family and brought to you by The Appleseed. The show is a production of BYU Radio. We'll see you next time. Hi, it's Sam again. Thanks so much for joining us for today's stories on The Appleseed. There will be more next time. We've been bringing tall tales, fairy tales, folk tales, personal tales, historical tales, and more to the air since 2013. We hope to be doing it for many, many years to come. And if you like The Appleseed, you may enjoy The Lisa Show or Top of Mind or Constant Wonder, all shows produced by BYU Radio that you can find at byuradio.org or by Googling the titles of any of those shows. I'm Sam Payne. We'll see you next time.